Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. Welcome back to More Than Medicine. I'm Hannah Miller, and I'm here with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. And this week, we have something really unique for everyone. We have a portion of an interview that dad was able to conduct over at the State House uh, this last week. This last week was Personhood Day, correct, Dad? That's right. Last Tuesday was Personhood Day at our Capitol in Columbia. And we had some special guests there, two of whom I was able to interview. We were there lobbying our legislators about personhood and the personhood bill that we are promoting that would convey upon the pre-born citizens, the sons and daughters of South Carolina, the very same right to life that all of us enjoy as born citizens of our state. And, of course, we're trying to convey that right to life from conception and without exception, Mm -hmm. without the rape and incest exceptions that are so often attached to these pro-life legislative bills. Mm -hmm. And that's what was so powerful about the the interview that you were able to do. You were able to do an interview with Rebecca Kiesling and Sylvia Rose, a young lady named Sylvia Rose. And both of these women have powerful testimony regarding this specific topic, correct? Can you give us a little bit of background on Rebecca, though, before we and, and Sylvia before we cut into the interview? All right. Rebecca currently is a lawyer. She's a mother of five children. She's from the state of Michigan. Uh, she's a very strong pro-life advocate, and she's a CEO. CEO of an organization entitled Save the One. Uh, She was conceived in rape in 1968. Her mother attempted to abort her on two separate occasions, but ultimately failed. Uh, So Rebecca was was born. Uh, She was placed in in an adoptive home. Unfortunately, it was an abusive adoptive home. And later she escaped from that home. And when she found out the circumstances surrounding her conception, she immediately became a pro-life advocate. And so her story is very compelling, and we'll hear parts of her story in a minute. Also, we'll hear from Sylvia Rose, who's from Spartanburg, South Carolina. She was sexually assaulted multiple times from age 14 to 15 by her aunt's boyfriend who lived in their home. No one would believe her that this was going on until she became pregnant. And the DNA evidence from her child that she bore was what helped put her aunt's boyfriend, who was actually a serial rapist behind bars, and set her free from that very terrible home's circumstance. She's a very brave and courageous young lady, and we're going to be cutting in on an interview with Sylvia Rose speaking first, and then we'll be hearing from Rebecca Kiesling as well. So let's go to those interviews now. Abuse that I've been through over and over. Physical abuse? Uh, Sexual abuse and physical abuse. Emotional abuse? Well, yes. All of that rolled into one. Yes. And uh, what particularly brings me here today is when I was 14 for a year until the the age of 15, I was raped by my aunt's boyfriend, fiance, that lived in the home with us. It was absolutely terrible Mm -hmm. and 
There's also physical abuse and nobody spoke up for me. And when I tried to have a voice, when I was actually brave enough, nobody would listen. So I want to advocate for the ones without a voice. I found out I was pregnant December 25th, 2010. And my son's biological father, he strongly encouraged, threatened, wanted me to have an abortion, obviously because were I to have my son, he would be criminally charged. Uh, and you, then, were, you were underage. Well, yes, yes, and yes. And he, he knew that absolutely if I were to have this baby, he would go to prison. So thankfully, you know, somehow I was able to get away because he was arrested on previous charges so, and so he ended up being removed from your family and out like, of the home? Yes, a few days after I found that I was pregnant. God is so good, truly. Um, and it was previous charges. And so finally he was gone, and I went to a family friend, and I, I told her what was going on. And then she told my mother, and we went to the police, and we reported it. And there was, you know, investigation, and eventually, you know, he was charged. And... Even though I was pressured and pressured into having an abortion. By other family members. Family members, friends, everybody. I mean, mm -hmm. oh, you're too young. You can't do it. You don't have any money. You're still in school. Mm -hmm. But I, I knew that there was a purpose from the moment I knew about him. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would do whatever it took to protect him and raise him mm -hmm. to be the best man he could be. Mm -hmm. And that is what I have strived and tried to do for the past eight and a half years. <laughs> All right, so your son is now eight and a half years. Yes. And you're proud of him? Absolutely. You're he delighted is, to have him? Everybody who knows him is delighted to know him. Everybody who knows him is amazed by his intelligence and his charisma and his um, vocabulary. Yes. Oftentimes people say, where, where does he know that word? Mama taught him, <laughs> but he, he's a, a remarkable, wonderful child. Well, he's smart like his mama. Well, now, what propelled you into speaking out like you do now? Well, well I lost my daughter, my second child. Mm -hmm. um, she was stillborn, and I love to write, and I needed to get it out and express it, so I wrote about the whole situation and I also wrote about briefly that you know my son was also well not also but my son was conceived in rape so it's just it was, it's been a tough ride and Miss Rebecca here she um she reached out to me and um I learned about her organization and then Dr. Clark's and personhood and I I couldn't not speak out and do what I could. Well, you're very courageous and I want you to know that God's going to honor and bless you being willing to share your story and share your perspective. No doubt it will change the heart and minds of lots of people who are very conflicted about this issue. I trust the Lord will bless your story. Well, let's go back to you, Miss Rebecca. Out of your life experience has grown a ministry called Save the One. Can you tell us about this ministry? 
We are a faith-based global pro-life organization who specializes in defending all of the so-called hard cases in the abortion debate through our personal stories. But how would you like to be called a hard case? You know, really, it's all of the people with the hard My mama parts. used to call me a hard case. I never <laughs> knew really what she meant about that, Rebecca. Uh, no, the hard cases are the ones that are the tough nuts to crack, right? Um, if you knew any of us, you'd know that we're easy to love. Um, but and, yeah, I hate being called a hard case. So that's what we always say, so-called, so-called hard cases or difficult cases. And, um, we have a network of over 900 of us who were conceived in rape and mothers who became pregnant by rape. Most, mostly mothers who are raising their children like Sylvia and women who chose adoption, placed their children for adoption or who regret aborting or who miscarried. Mm -hmm. And they reach out to us because no one else will allow them to grieve the loss of that child. And they need to have connection, have their stories told as well. And they, they desperately want to find a way to honor the life of that child. And then we have hundreds in our carry to birth division who were told by doctors to abort because of either a fetal abnormality or the health of the mother or so-called life of the mother. And um, so we get their stories told and we have online support groups, we have regional groups so that we can connect them for activism like we did today, where there were three of us mm -hmm. all together. There was um, me, Sylvia, and Ashley Lawton, who's a mother for rape. I understand you interviewed her yes. before. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, did I say a mother for rape? No, she was conceived in rape. That's correct. And um, it's important to be able to unify lock arms and do this activism together and so that way people don't just dismiss your story oh it's just anecdotal and they realize there's more of us and we're united and we have a voice that's right. we're stronger together that's this important. is our tribe that's right that's right that's right all right now what, where is your involvement in save the one taking you i understand that you've been lots of places and just tell us some of that sure. i mean i speak globally i've spoken in parliaments all over the world and you know legislatures I testify in legislatures all over and, and do lobbying um, I do a lot of speaking for fundraisers for pregnancy resource centers I do a lot of writing myself on policy why no exceptions why no compromise why personhood mm -hmm. as the correct strategy I'm an attorney so I've, I've litigated numerous high-profile cases defending human life Mm -hmm. uh, the words, the name Save the One comes from the parable of the lost sheep. Tell us about that. I heard you speak about that a little bit this morning. There's an unfortunate motto in the pro-life movement that you save the 99 in exchange for the one, which is really child sacrifice. And when I hear the 99 for the one, I always think of the parable of the lost sheep because Jesus was all about saving the one. He said, see that you do not despise any of these little ones. And we are despised. We're called all kinds of horrible names like demon seed, evil seed, monster's child, rapist child, devil's spawn, Satan's spawn, um, rape trophy, rape apologist. I mean, all kinds of horrible things. We're despised and we're systematically targeted within pro-life legislation in Congress, especially. And, and, and now the, the pro-choice, pro-death lobby, they, they love to categorize your tribe, as you call it, in those terms, 
because you are a vocal, outspoken advocate for life. Mm -hmm. But you, they like to categorize you in such derogatory terms. Yeah, you never hear them say, rape victim's child. That's what I am. That's no, right. they choose the rapist, which is such an insult to your mothers like Sylvia. Like, how dare them call her child the rapist child, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. I understand that. Well, it's all euphemistic terminology. You know, he, he who frames the debate wins the debate. And they use such harsh terminology because they're trying to win the debate mm -hmm. by framing the debate. You're a lawyer. You know that. So Jesus said, see that you do not despise them, these little ones. For I tell you, they're angels in heaven. Always look upon the face of my Father in heaven. And he goes straight into the parable of the lost sheep, how the good shepherd leaves the 99 to save the one. And he finishes the parable by explaining its point. And he says, for in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish, and neither should we. And... In context, he's talking about the little ones who are despised who are at risk of being killed. And that he's not willing that any of them should perish. So that's the heart of God, and that's where our name comes from, Save the One. I didn't mention this today, I suppose I could have, but you know, the, the motto is Save the 99 in exchange for the One. They'll say it's the burning building analogy. And wouldn't you save as many as you can while working to save all? And when really the reality of what happens in the burning building situation with this is that um, they shut the water off and they send the fire trucks home and nobody ever goes back to save the one. And in reality, the way that this goes down is that you have firefighters who go in for job interviews with the fire chief who are the leaders in the pro-life movement. Here we're talking about the right to life affiliate. And they sit down for this job interview and they say, just so you know, I discriminate. Yeah, when I go into a burning building, I'm not gonna save them all. You know, there's gonna be, if there's a child who's in the midst of the fire, you know, they're gonna be disfigured and they're gonna be a horrible reminder, right? I mean, that's what we're called, horrible mm -hmm. reminder. Mm -hmm. And I don't wanna do that to their parents, so I'm not gonna save them. Well, what fire chief in their right mind would hire that firefighter? Mm -hmm. He just told you all you need to know. And so not only do they hire him, they give him a PAC endorsement, Political Action Committee endorsement. And then when they in fact not only refuse to go in to save them all, but they rally all their colleagues, the other firefighters to agree not to go in. And they say, if you make us go in there to save them all, I won't save any. And then they, and they rally their other colleagues, other firefighters, and then they in fact leave the one behind to die because the fire chief caves and say, says, all right, fine, you don't have to save them all. Okay, in reality, no fire chief is gonna do that, right? And so they allow selective discrimination like that. And what happens is then not only do they not fire that firefighter for, for pulling that kind of stunt, but they give them a hefty bonus in the way of an approval rating. And Congress, National Right to Life Committee, will give you a 100% approval rating for doing that kind of thing. Eric Cantor, he was a House Majority Leader when he introduced a rape exception in the 
campaign capable on Born Child Protection Act. They gave him a 100% approval rating on that vote when he introduced a rape exception. There's people who think like, oh, this, this congressman, he's 100% pro-life. Uh, 100% doesn't mean what you think it means. That's correct. <laughs> You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, I appreciate that analogy because it's a very true and accurate analogy. So talk to us a little bit about what is your hope and expectation for the future of the pro-life movement in America? I really hope that we will raise awareness and help people to, to dialogue on this issue, that our stories can not only encourage and inspire others, but really that we can help frame the discussion, as you said. Mm -hmm. We always use the motto, punish rapists, not babies. And we use this hashtag, punish rapists, not babies, as well as the hashtag, rapists love abortion. Mm -hmm. Because as you heard from Sylvia, it will destroy the evidence and then protect and enable the perpetrator to continue raping. That's exactly what would have happened to Sylvia. And so um, we, we want to get others to start using those hashtags. And, and we see that it's, it's very successful and that it's pretty easy to change hearts and minds of people who are otherwise pro-life but say they make the rape exception. Mm -hmm. When you put stories out there and you start to make sense, <laughs> to people, like, I, I ask people, you know, do you advocate for a law to authorize rape victims to pay someone to kill her rapist or just her innocent child? And uh, I find that's very effective in helping very people. Very thought-provoking question, isn't yeah, it? It is. And then, of course, you would never do that. Question. I understand that fully. Are you familiar with uh, Reardon and Books? Uh, yes. Reardon and Burke's book, Victims and Victors. Doctor David Reardon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, with the Elliot Institute. Yes. Well, I was uh, I quoted their book extensively in my pro-life book that I wrote some, about two years ago, and um, in their in their survey, which is one of the most extensive surveys of women who've been victims of rape and victims of incest. They expose the myth that most women who've been raped or victims of incest right. prefer abortion as a solution to their social dilemma. In fact, 76% uh, of women who have been victims of rape choose to carry their child to term. Right. Is, there were two studies quoted in the book. So yeah. one shows about 15%, the other one at roughly 25% yes. choose abortion. 25% choose adoption. Yes. And then over 50% parent. But it's interesting because nationwide today, 50% abort and only 1% choose adoption. So it's, rape victims are really choosing adoption instead of abortion mm -hmm. because you know, they don't want more violence. That's when they've right. already been traumatized. They, right. they choose abortion at half the rate of the average unplanned pregnancy. And then also in their research, the incest victims chose to keep their children because that child was for them an exit strategy from yeah. the continuation of the, the violence of sexual abuse. And, you know, most people are not even aware of that or never even think about that. And as a family doctor, I've been confronted with that situation multiple times. For example, I had a young lady who came to my office for years and she was depressed, she had panic attacks, she had broken relationships in the family. And I couldn't discern what the issue was for the longest time until finally one day she divulged to me that she'd been sexually abused by an uncle that was visiting their home uh, repeatedly and then finally had taken advantage of her sexually. But she had become pregnant 
by that uncle. And she wanted to keep the baby, so she kept it secret from her mother until she was almost six months along. Mm -hmm. Because she knew that if she had that child, she'd be able to expose her uncle. Well, then when her mother found out, she didn't believe her first that it was the uncle's child. But then when she confronted her mother with photos that she had secretly taken of the uncle partially undressed in her private bathroom, then the uncle and mother conspired to take her to Atlanta secretly, didn't tell her where they were going. They forced her into an abortion and that undid the her evidence or her exit strategy. But ultimately, when she went public with it, she had the photos of her uncle and she found a, uh, a check from her mother's checkbook that paid for the abortion that further validated her wow. story and then she was able to win a court case against the uncle. Well, so, most don't have that kind of evidence. No, they don't. Usually, they really don't. that abortion completely protects him and they and get away with it. the whole story. All Until right. she gets pregnant again. You're exactly right. Well, if someone in our listening audience, Ms. Rebecca, wants to be involved in your ministry, how would they contact your organization? It's Save the One, and it's the numeral one, not the word one. Okay. SaveTheOne.com. We're on Facebook. Uh, please check out our Facebook page, like it. We've got a blog on our website with over 250 articles written. We have videos on our website, on our uh, Facebook page, we got Sylvia's story, um, and we we put out a lot of memes, a lot of good content for sharing. And then on Twitter, we're Save the One Child, because someone took Save the One. <laughs> they don't even use it, but yes, we're Save the One Child on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll follow us and get connected. And if you know anybody who was conceived in rape or incest or sex trafficking or became pregnant that way, please send them to us, as well as anyone with a carried to birth story. And we want to help get their stories told and have a platform so their voices can be heard. And you can provide counseling for these folks? There's a new organization, Pro Love Ministries, and they actually are, are connecting people with counseling now. Okay or we connect people to their local pregnancy resource center. But we have a support group where it's just, where we're all united just and I, I put, connect with, and talk. Yeah, so whether they're post-abortive from rape or a mm -hmm. mother, the, it's the mother's group who's really active. They, okay. they, they talk a lot. Now, can people <laughs> so financially contribute to your organization? Yes, of course, we are a 501c3. I get you. Well, but ladies, we, nobody gets paid with our organization. We're an all-volunteer army. Uh, and we achieve a lot with a little because we really collaborate with other organizations who know that they can bring us in. I understand. Well, you've been a wonderful resource for us here in Columbia today, and I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you and Sylvia. Thank you for your story and for your courage in sharing it with us. Wow, Dad. So their stories are so powerful. And it was interesting whenever I was speaking to uh, mom earlier this week and, and doing some thinking on these interviews because I knew we were preparing for this. And I've done a lot of listening and kind of keeping my ear to the ground, especially this past month because it's Pro-Life, Sanctity of Human Life Month. And realizing I think that this demographic that we just heard about, you know, Sylvia Rose and, and Rebecca Kiesling's demographic of women who are either uh, conceived in rape or they've been raped and they, and they conceive a child. That demographic in the discussion, the pro-life discussion that is 
circles around their story is coming to the forefront in the pro-life movement because that's been, and and I've heard you use the word, the stumbling block in the pro-life debate and in the abortion debate because so many of our policies and our legislation that we work on, they they say, okay, abortion is wrong except for in these, what you call hard cases, Hmm. the hard cases. But especially millennials, I think we're coming to this point where I increasingly see them willing to tackle this and willing to say, you know, abortion is wrong even in the hard cases. Abortion is wrong even in these hard situations that these the, these women are in and are stuck in. And I'm encouraged to see that because I think for decades we've been unwilling to address this aspect. And the reason I think that we're seeing more of that, more willingness from my generation, is that there's a large demographic of my generation who are, the, who were conceived in rape in spirit of abortion, just like Rebecca Kiesling, or who are Sylvia Rose. I mean, that we're beginning to see them grow, you know, they're growing up, they're becoming adults, they're finding their voice, and we're looking at them face to face and saying, this is a person, right. and this was a person 30 years ago when they were conceived in right. rape, and they deserve to ha- be alive. And that's what, did you, did you hear about the um, the Super Bowl ad, supposed to run today, Fox News, turn it down. And the whole ad is, it goes from person to person to person. They ran it at the March for Life, and it, sa- it says, can you look me in the eye and tell me I, should, I don't deserve to be alive today? And it's real live people who were conceived in rape, or a one of the hard cases yes. that we specifically talk about. And I think that our my generation, and in the 21st, you know, tw- year 2020, we're beginning to highlight those cases and say, yes, we've come so far in the pro-life uh, debate, but it's not far enough because we're still leaving behind the, quote, 1% that, what was it you were saying earlier, 1% of 1 million is 10,000. How many tens of thousands over the last 40 plus years since 1973 does that mean that we're looking at now? That's right. And, and we're so, I mean, who could look in the face of Rebecca Kiesling and Sylvia Rose, who right. I met this weekend, and say to them, honestly, your life has no value. And mm-hmm. it's so powerful when women like them are courageous enough to go to legislators, look them in the face and tell their story, and then challenge them to vote for pro-life legislation that protects unborn children from conception and without exceptions. That's right. And I heard Rebecca Kiesling say this more than one time. She looked at the legislators and she said, would you vote for a law that gave a woman who was sexually assaulted and conceived a child as a result of that assault the power to kill her rapist? And if you would not, why would you allow her to kill her baby? by paying a doctor to kill that child that would forever eliminate the evidence of that rape. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and we've increasingly, I think it was, I can't remember who the author of the uh, of the article was this last week that I read, but it was talking specifically about they know they're killing human beings. 
We all know they're killing human beings. And now that we all know this because of technology and science and the advance that we've had in those things since 1973. I mean, they knew in 1973, but there's no denying it now because we have heartbeats and we have ultrasounds and we have all of these things that tell us that this is indeed a human being. Now we can look at that and say, okay, this is a human being and human beings either have value or they don't. And at some point we have to decide that fact because we can't decide some this person has value and this person doesn't and so that's what's so powerful about their stories and i'm so glad that you were able to get those this week thank you ma'am thank you for listening to today's edition of more than medicine you can follow jackson family ministry on facebook instagram and on their website be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for more than medicine.